Good morning and welcome to Grace Chapel. I was uh, talking with Jeff about today's message and he said, um, you should be glad I gave you heaven. I could have given you hell. And uh, I thought, well, wait till after the message. Uh, it is my pleasure to be able to open the word of God to you and share with you about Jesus and what he wants you to know about heaven. One writer included this poem or this alleged statement on a tombstone in his book. He said, the tombstone read, pause stranger when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. And allegedly, somebody scratched on the bottom of the tombstone. To follow you, I am not content until I know which way you went. Sometimes the only time we think about heaven is when we are at a funeral or when someone is dying and heaven becomes something that we think about. I have one class of students to whom I announced that I would be speaking today about heaven. And so I asked them to write on a card how many times or how often they think about heaven. And these are the responses. Three, four times a week, two times a week, one time per day, my pastor did a sermon series, so once a week. Only in eschatology class, which is once a week on Thursday. Three times a week, pretty much every day, not that much. The word crosses my mind, but it's rare for the full concept to be in my mind. When I'm in a bad mood, I think of heaven. When someone brings up hell, and maybe once or twice a month. My goal this morning is to make heaven a reality that you think about often. Because I believe that thinking about heaven and making it a part of your life doesn't just prepare you or help you for the next life, but for this life in which we find ourselves living today. You see, we do not trust Christ and immediately walk into the presence of God. That would be nice, but that's not how it works most times. And so we are left here to try to make heaven real so that heaven becomes an important part of what we are and what we do. So this morning, if you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, we will learn three ways to get heaven on your mind, to get heaven on your mind. Jesus is the one that is speaking. He says in verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Please do not allow the familiarity of this text to cause your mind to slam closed, but instead allow the familiarity to warm your heart and open your mind to the three ways to get heaven into your life. The first way is found in verse 1. 
the first way to get heaven into your life is that troubles are a reality in life. Troubles are a reality in life. Notice what he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, he is speaking to the disciples. And if you are able to think back or even look back in your Bible, you will see that the disciples have troubled hearts for good reason. The first reason that they have a troubled heart is found in John chapter 12. Because in John chapter 12, Jesus has said to them, I have to go and die. I'm going away from you. I'm not going to be around anymore. Uh, So their leader, the one whom they dropped their nets and followed, he's leaving. So their hearts are troubled. The second thing that troubles their heart is that Jesus has told them in John chapter 13, he has said to them, someone in our midst of the the 12, close to us, will betray me. So they're thinking, who can that possibly be? They had no idea it was Judas. And so there's a, a, a traitor in their midst who's going to betray Jesus and result in him being taken away. They have good reason to have a troubled heart because their leader is leaving. A person within their midst is a traitor. And the third thing you find out in John chapter 13 is that Jesus tells them, Peter is going to deny me. Can you imagine Peter, the leader? He's the head guy. He's in charge. He's their pillar. He's the one that's their strength. He's going to deny Christ. So if that's going to happen to Peter, who's the top guy, what's going to happen to the rest of the disciples? So they have a troubled heart. And Jesus says to them, stop it. Stop. Literally, he says, stop being troubled. Don't do it anymore. Now, that's pretty harsh in some respects, because we think, well, what he should do is bring them all together in a big group hug. Or we think, let them express themselves. Let them share their opinions. You see, Jesus has already seen it. He has already watched and observed. They have troubled hearts, and he's saying, it's time to stop it. But you see, the reality of life is that troubles come. Troubles come. Some of you this morning, when I approached the stage and walked up here to this post, some of you had a troubled heart because Jeff isn't here. You're thinking, it's not going to be as funny. It's not going to be as entertaining and energetic. You think all kinds of things and you're thinking, he's not here, who will I hug? (laughs) So some of you were troubled just by my presence. Other of you were troubled because of what's going on in your life, because of the situations that you find yourself at your job, in your home, with your spouse, with your children. On Friday, I took my class to the library because they're preparing for debates, and so I gave them a research day. And while they were researching, I was sitting grading some papers, and a student approached me and began to tell me about their week, a troubled heart a troubled heart. They're everywhere. Troubles are a part of life. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, you will discover that the Apostle Paul tells us about troubles. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Now he's saying we've got this treasure because of the gift of eternal life that is ours. There's this treasure, but we are in jars of clay. The analogy would be taking your jewelry and storing it in a coffee can. And that's what God has done. He has taken this treasure and put it in these 
clay jars or jars of clay. It's something expensive and something that is cheap are together here. And notice the dynamic that happens in Paul's life. In verse 8, he says this. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be be revealed in our bodies. You see, he's saying to them, listen, life is is tough. Remember, he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians because there were troubles in the Corinthians church. And so he talks about, do I need to bring a stick? It's a book of correction. He gets to 2 Corinthians, and it's a book of comfort because he's been kind of hard on him in chapter in 1 Corinthians. And so in 2 Corinthians, he comes with a message of comfort. And he's saying, listen, there are troubles in life, and there is difficulty there. And he says, I have experienced them. He says, I have been hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Remember, he was the one that was trapped behind the walls in Damascus because those that were looking for him were going to take him to jail. And he didn't know what to do, and so he got put into a basket. He was lowered out of a window that was on the wall so that he could escape. That's being hard-pressed, being confined. But he wasn't crushed. He got to go and preach another time. He goes on to say, he said, I'm perplexed, but not in despair. Perplexed, that's a, that's a word that is used of someone that is ruined by a creditor. The creditor has come and said, you owe me. And you don't have anything to give. He was in that position, but he says, not in despair. He's not baffled by this because he knows that God has a plan and a purpose in his life. And so the troubles in Paul's life are real. The troubles in your life are real. He says also in verse 8, he said, persecuted but not abandoned. He says, I'm being hunted down, which was true. But he says, I'm not abandoned. God still cares for me. Troubles are reality in life. And he says in verse 9, struck down but not destroyed. Remember the Apostle Paul, when he was in Lystra, he was stoned and they left him for dead outside the gates. Struck down, but he didn't die. He got back up. God revived him. And off he went to do more for the sake of Christ. In order to keep heaven on your mind, you must come to the reality that life is full of troubles. And because life is full of troubles, heaven means more to us. Heaven is more important to us. And so Jesus says, stop having a troubled heart. And then he gives us the reason why we should stop having a troubled heart. And the second thing that keeps heaven on our mind is verse Two, where Jesus tells us not only are troubles a part of life, but he also tells us that heaven helps us handle the troubles of life. Notice what he does in verse 2. Jesus uses very common language. In John chapter 14, let me turn my Bible back there. In John chapter 14, he continues, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. That's kind of like step one in this heavenly process. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, the disciples had not wrapped their minds around that completely, and you notice that in verse 5 because Thomas says, well, you know, what's this all about? And Jesus says in verse 6, 
He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is teaching us that heaven helps us through the troubles in this life, but in order for that to be possible in your life, you must have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You see, he is the access point to the glories of heaven that are not only beyond us, but also can be with us now. And so in order to ensure that heaven is on your mind and heaven helps with the troubles of life, you must trust in Jesus Christ. There are no other options for a heavenly presence except for Jesus Christ himself. In verse 2, he says this, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare you a place. Prepare a place. Now, many of you, uh, like myself, I grew up on the King James Bible. And you remember what it said in the King James Bible? It says, many mansions. That is such an unfortunate translation. But, of course, for the songwriters, they all loved it because I've got a mansion over the hilltop and all that. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a, a couple of things, if you'll notice. He says, first of all, in my father's house... That's heaven itself. He's talking about my father's house as heaven. And then he says, in my father's house are many rooms. And so it's kind of this image or this picture of a house that has multiple rooms. And so those of you that are sitting here and thinking, oh, great, there goes my mansion. It's really okay, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But think about this. Heaven is the place. And so when he talks about the many rooms, he's not necessarily talking about just one house with a lot of rooms, but he's talking about a place with a number of dwelling places. Does that make sense? And so you have an opportunity to perhaps have something a little more than what you have now. You say the hovel that I'm living in needs to be replaced, but uh, it's more than that. Because remember, when we're talking about heaven, we're talking about what is important to God and not what's important to us. And in God's agenda, is a great big giant house important to him? Probably not, right? What's important to him is that we have a place where we are satisfied. And so when he talks about in my father's house are many rooms, it is a place where we will be satisfied. Because what happens here is that Jesus Christ, in his preparation for us to get there, he understands each and every one of us so intricately that he knows our needs. He knows that you need a private place. He knows that you need a public place. He knows that some of you don't thrive on individual experiences with each other in a big room just celebrating and have. And he knows you might need his place. He knows us. Notice what it says here. It says, I go to prepare a place for you. In six days, Jesus Christ prepared the Garden of Eden. He has been preparing a place for you and for me in heaven for over 2,000 years. Imagine what that place is like. It is a real place. It is a real place. He uses these kinds of, of words. He, he uses words that help us to understand that it's, it's, it's a place that is real. You see, heaven is not going to be this ethereal, out-of-body experience where we are floating around in the clouds or we are strumming harps and things like that. That is so beyond biblical. It's unimaginable. Uh, let me recommend a book to you. There's a book written by Randy Alcorn, Uh, Randy Alcorn, and the title of the book is simply Heaven. And in that book, he spends, I think there's like a thousand pages total in the book, talking just about heaven. 
It's, a, it's, a, it's really a fabulous book. You will enjoy it. Another book that you should probably read as well is this book, Erasing Hell, by Francis Chan, which will give you a look at the other place. And so those two books together, I would encourage you. But, but let's get back to the, the text here. In 14.2, uh, look at what happens in verse 3. He says this, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Do you notice what he uses? He uses these ordinary, earthy, spatial terms. I'm going, I'm coming, terms we understand, because that's what heaven will be like. It will be like what we understand. It will be a place where we can go. Now, again, let's pause for just a moment. He says to them, you're here now, but you will be where I am. So do you see what happens here? You're either here on earth or you're in heaven with Christ. Now, we know there's another option, but we're not talking about that today. We're talking about believers who have trusted in Christ. They have this option, earth, heaven. There's no intermediate state. There's no state where you need to go and kind of hang out for a while to be purified, to be prepared to go into the presence of God. Because the reason why you don't need to go to an intermediate state is because Jesus paid it all. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, what did he say? He said, it's finished. What's finished? All that you need for salvation, it's done. It's complete. It's finished. And so all we need to do is embrace Christ. And when we embrace him, salvation is ours. And that guarantees for us a place to be in glory with him one day. So when we talk about this heaven, heaven helps us handle the troubles of life. So think about this. Troubles are an obvious, real part of life. Heaven helps us deal with troubles. How? Well, take your Bibles and let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And the Apostle Paul gives us like a testimony of his life and how he handles things. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Remember Paul's troubles. Paul was a believer, walking, living, doing things to please God. And he talked about all of his troubles. Now look at how he sees them in verse 16. Therefore, all that I just said to you in the earlier verses, therefore, what do we do? He says, we do not lose heart. Have you ever lost heart? Have you ever felt like this is the end? Paul says, that never happens to me. Now, why doesn't it happen to Paul? Because this, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So what does he fix his eyes on? Heaven. What does he think about? Heaven. Paul, do you really grasp what you've been through, my friend? He says, he describes it this way. For our light and momentary troubles. Paul, you've been beaten, you've been stoned, you've been shipwrecked, you've been bitten by a viper, you've been chased out of town. Light 
and momentary troubles. Now, why can he say that? The reason he says that is because in light of the glory, the heavenly home, the eternal destination that will be his, that's what it's like. That's what it's, it's just light and momentary. We're going to be forever in heaven with him. We're going to be taken care of, no troubles in heaven. And so what we are going through now is light and momentary compared to what it will be like in heaven with him. So the reason we want to have heaven on our mind is because heaven helps us through the troubles of life. You see, what you're going through now is hard and difficult. And it consumes your mind so much that that's all you can think about. But that's light and momentary compared to what it's going to be like when you're in heaven And God sits down with you and explains it all to you. You see, so you think, you know what? This isn't so bad. I can hang in there. I can stay with it. Because you know what? I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be in heaven someday. And so instead of thinking about heaven once or twice a month, or when someone is on their deathbed or someone is being buried, or you read the obituaries in the paper, instead, make it a part of your life that helps you get through the troubles every day. The troubles of life. Heaven helps us through the troubles of life. Uh, That's what Jesus is teaching us. If you turn back to John chapter 14, he is making it plain to us that it is important to know that heaven is a place. Don't have a troubled heart. Where I am, you'll be also. That's his answer. Please notice the third thing that will help keep heaven on our mind. In verse 3, he says this. He says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Two great things right there. With me, where I am. So the third truth that keeps heaven on your mind is that Jesus is in heaven and will make it all worth it. I don't know if this happens to you, but if someone invites me over or if someone says, hey, let's go do something, my first question always is, who's going to be there? Do you ever do that? Some of you just love to go out, so you're like, yeah, I'll go. But I always ask, who's going to be there? Because that makes a difference for me. And sometimes that's what happens when we talk about heaven. People begin to think, okay, let me ask you this. Is so-and-so going to be in heaven? You know, the the big ones are Mother Teresa Gandhi. Will they be in heaven? Those are always the questions, right? Big question, who's going to be there? Well, you know what? I take the John Newton approach to heaven and who's going to be there. You remember who John Newton is, right? He's the slave trader that became converted and wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. And he is the one that says, this is, when I get to heaven, he says, I will wonder who is there and why. He says, I will wonder who is not there and why. But he says, wonder of wonders is that I'm there. (laughs) And that's the way I approach it. So if you want to know about those other people, I have no idea what to tell you. Because I'm not the one that determines. I just know this, that if you have no interest in Jesus Christ, Why in the world would you think that you're going to be in heaven? 
Because he's going to be there. He will be our host. He will be our welcomer. And so if you don't like him or if you've rejected him, what makes you think that he will be welcoming you? He won't be. Because you won't be there. You say, wow, that's really harsh. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to help us to understand what Jesus said in verse 6. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father, but how? By me. So if you reject Christ, isn't the obvious answer you're not going to be there? And that's the only way to get there. So please, this morning, think about Christ and what he's done for you when he went to the cross and died for your sins to make a way for you to have the gift of eternal life so that it is not only for the next life in heaven, but also now as the troubles come, you can have this grasp of understanding, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. And when the troubles come, they're only light and momentary because I'm going to be in heaven one day. And he will help me through. Jesus is there. That's the third reason heaven should be on your mind. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this. He said, I would rather be in hell with Christ than in heaven without him. That's how important Christ was to him. Jesus Christ, he is there. You think about who is going to be in heaven. I have been followed in death by a grandmother that was dear to me, a great-grandmother who spent most of her life raising me, and a father who I never knew because uh, he died when I was age five. And so those folks have preceded me in death. And I have often thought, because I I do a yearly pilgrimage to their graves to just be reminded of God's goodness in my own life, and I, I am reminded often that they are there, and I would like to see them and talk with them. But I have to admit to you that the older I get, the more that I read this book, the more excited I get to see Jesus. Because of what he's done for me in saving my soul from sin and death and to be able to see his face. That's who will be there. And the other things are important to you, and I understand that, but don't lose sight of the Son who saved you, who loved you, and died for you. Don't lose sight of him. He's there. And that makes it more exciting to think about every day, I'm going to see Jesus face to face. This morning, the encouragement is to allow this to be foundational in your life so that each day it has impact and importance in your life. Jesus Christ reminds us that troubles in life will happen. He also reminds us that heaven helps us through those troubles. And finally, Jesus Christ will be there in heaven. So thinking of him every day helps us, helps us through the day. Let's pray together. Father, you are a good God. You have given us so much. 
We are so glad to be able to open your word and learn about a place that is real, a place that you have prepared for us to go to one day. We ask, Lord, that if our hearts today have become hardened or have become cold, allow your words to warm our hearts so that we can once again begin to feel what it is to know your Son. And Lord, open our hearts and allow us to understand each day how important it is that we will see your Son in heaven one day and that it helps us through the troubles of life. And Lord, if there happens to be someone here today that has never trusted your Son, encourage them with your Spirit to reach that decision of trusting in the sufficiency of the death your Son died for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and have a wonderful week.